I'm excited for this one. Today's guest was part of the first class of inductees into the Podcast Hall of Fame. Why is that? Well, it all started way back in 2004 when he founded the Tech Podcast Network and his own podcast, Geek News Central. He's about to celebrate his 16th anniversary of that show coming up in October. It was toward the end of his 24-year career in the Navy when he found podcasting, thanks to, get this, a near-paralyzing accident, which left him in Waco, Texas, randomly listening to podcasts, specifically one of the first podcasts hosted by Adam Curry. Funny how things work out in life. Since that time, he has been disruptive in this space, having hosted several podcasts, including co-hosting the new media show with Rob Greenlee. In addition to that, he started his company, Raw Voice, which is the parent company to Blueberry. You may have heard of that company because they represent over 75,000 audio and video podcasters, helping them with advertising and distribution and hosting and understanding the statistics of their shows. He likely holds the world record for the longest podcast sponsorship deal, having partnered with GoDaddy since the early days of his show, and they are still his number one sponsor. He's been at the forefront of the podcast advertising space and speaks worldwide on the topic. He quite literally wrote the book on podcasting, as his book, Podcasting the Do-It-Yourself Guide, was one of the first books ever written on the subject way back in 2005. As if all of that's not enough, He also founded the People's Choice Podcast Awards. And I know there's a ton of other things that he's done. This is only scratching the surface, but enough buildup. What are we going to talk about in this episode? Well, first, he's going to share his story and how he found podcasting. I love this story. It really is an amazing one. He gives us ideas on how to build domain authority. He talks about suggestions on how to build your brand outside of the podcast space. He talks about why he's never edited his show He shares why he feels storytelling is so valuable and why he believes we need more storytellers in the podcast space. He describes how he looks at his own metrics and how he uses them to tell a story. One of the things I love is he shares some tips on how he uses geographic data to connect with his audience. We talk about what it takes to be successful and I'll give you a hint, hard work, grinding every day and consistency. He also shares the creative way that he reminds himself to talk to his audience, not around them. And of course, we go deep into advertising and he shares why he feels it's important to not be greedy and to over-deliver on results. We end the episode with him sharing some of his favorite podcasters and the people that have inspired him along the way. All right, well, I can't wait for you to hear this one. So without further ado, let's jump into the conversation with Todd Cochran. Todd, thank you for being on for the Love of Podcast. Oh, thanks for having me, Billy. I appreciate it. I am just thrilled to have this conversation with you and to learn about your story. I mean, I already know a lot, but I want to share it with the audience. First question is, if you didn't have a swimming pool injury that almost left you paralyzed while in the Navy and ultimately led you to live in Waco, Texas, where you had to be indoors (laughs) listening to podcasts, would you be podcasting today? 
Oh, don't think so. Just be in the right place at the right time. And and actually, I was in a hotel room in Waco, Texas, not even in a house. So, and I was babysitting airplanes for the military. It was an interesting time. And yeah, I was spending a lot of time indoors on my laptop looking for things. Be honest with you, if I had not sustained the injury that I had, I wouldn't have been in Waco. I'd have been still flying because I was grounded. I used to, you know, as a flyer in the Navy. So probably the first three or four years of podcasting would have completely escaped me. So yeah, history would have been much different. Isn't it interesting how the butterfly effect, one thing led to another, led to another. And I know your wife gave you a tight time window of two years to make this podcast thing work. And at the time, nobody really knew what a podcast was with the, with the exception of the rare few such as yourself, who were early adopters. You literally wrote the book on podcasting. I know part of your story is when Wiley Publishing called you and said, hey, would you like to write this book? Which then put you on the map and led to your sponsor that you've been with for, what, now 15 years, is it, with GoDaddy? Yeah. And what's even more funny, some of the backstory on that sponsor was, is that I had talked smack about them in some of my blog posts because we'd had so much trouble keeping the website because we grew so fast. And trying to keep the website online, I had to keep updating different. It was insane what was going on. And and they had resolved it issue that I had with them. So when they approached me to sponsor a show, I said, hey, you need to go back and listen <laughs> to these two episodes to make sure you still want to sponsor. And, and they came back and said they did. So, you know, it's just an, another one of those ironic things. Isn't it interesting? I mean, let's go back in time. And I want to be in your brain as you first were listening to Daily Source Code and you were thinking, wow, this is kind of cool. Like, what were you thinking and what attracted you to the medium to begin with? Well, I had been blogging for a couple of years and I really wasn't a very good blogger, to be quite frank. I maybe had 300 people a week coming to the website. I had been involved in the bulletin board space prior to that when it was the old dial-up days. So I'd always had a certain amount of online presence per se. And really was one of those things that I kind of just decided, well, let's let's try this. What what can hurt? And it really kind of ended up working out okay. Wow. So maybe deficiency in, in blogging, you've made up for it in podcasting, ultimately creating your company, Raw Voice, which is the parent company, The Blueberry. It's comprised as a team of podcasters, people that really love the medium and love podcasting. And I know this was born out of Frankly, you got this original sponsor and there was a need. Can you tell us a little bit about the story about what was the original reason why you started Raw Voice and ultimately Blueberry? So I had done the sponsorship with GoDaddy. We'd finished up uh, the first month. I had woefully undercharged for the sponsorship. They came back to me and Chris Redlinger, who is still at GoDaddy today, she came back to me and said, listen, we, we want to renew for a year. And I said, well, how'd we do? And she told me, which resulted in me going back and doing some analysis on the how much the advertisement deal was worth and coming back to her with a number, which I still was low on the number. And luckily, we were able to put in place a performance component to that sponsorship. And then what really ended up happening then was at the end of that conversation, she said to me, she said, do you know of anyone else who would like to do advertising. And we'd already started the tech podcast group. And I said, yes, I do. And really from that call was born an idea that I I needed to form a business. And 
very, very quickly after that call, I basically did a call out on my show and I said, I'm looking for a lawyer, a biz dev, graphics guy, and a programmer. And I'm having a phone call in 10 days. And literally the company was formed from people that were listening to my podcast. Isn't that amazing? And ultimately that led to so many things that have benefited the industry as a whole, not least of which is the PowerPress plugin used for WordPress. Uh, You do amazing work with stats and advertising. You've just shared kind of the origin story of that. What is it that makes Blueberry and Rob Voice different and what are the things that that you really focus on? Because I know at least one of them is making it easy and making it super simple for somebody just to go in and, as you say, post, upload, publish. But can you yeah. talk a little bit about all the things that kind of set you apart? Well, the first thing was is that that really set us apart is, and for those that don't know, Raw Voice is the parent company. It's the corporation. Blueberry Podcasting is the business that most of us know us by today. But if you work for us or if you get an advertising check from you, it's going to come from Raw Voice. So that confuses people sometimes. But really, the initial team of uh, the board of directors, which four of the original five are still with the company, everyone did a podcast. Barry Kantz, our finance officer, he did a podcast. Angelo Mendano, our CIO, he did a car podcast. Brian had been involved in a multitudes of ways. And what we really understood from a very early point and what we really decided upon and what set us apart from some of our competitors was that we truly believe that content creators should build their brand on their .com being able to control their IP, control their feed, and really as a service provider, which we are, is to provide the tools and service and really get out of the way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when someone comes to a website or listens to a podcast, they could care less who is hosting the media. They don't need to know that. They need to be focused on the content, the brand. So our really goal was to, you know, provide tools and services that really allowed us to fulfill that goal. And, and part of it was because I built my personal website, my personal show, Geek News Central, on that original site that I was blogging on. And I understood the value of building that long-term, and I gave many presentations to that effect. But really, that's the main difference between Blueberry and many of the competitors is that oftentimes, if you signed up, let's say, for an Anchor account or a Podbean account, your podcast lives on that brand. And then you have to try to separate yourself from that content and also at the same point deal with anything that maybe someone that's doing something a little squirrely and Google penalizes that domain for having spam or whatever it may be. By having your own website, you don't run into that. You, you build your brand, you control your IP. So oftentimes I get a lot of flack from people on that. And, but it's what we find is a lot of podcasters graduate to that model after being stuck on some portal at some place, they decide, oh, I need to revert and have my own website. But we try to come out of the box with new podcasters having that strategy to begin with. You've literally taken the words out of my mouth because I was thinking the word graduate. Because I know you've talked about the fact that with Blueberry, you often are helping to graduate people into your platform and the next evolution of their brand creation, which I do want to dive in on brand in a little bit. What's your process when, a let's say for me, for example, you know, I, you know, if, if I were to come to you and say, hey, I'm thinking of using your services. What are the ways in which you make it easy for the transition to be a part of the Blueberry family? It really runs a couple of different ways. 
There's number one is oftentimes people will start out and all they really care about is having like an Instagram landing page or a Twitter landing page. They really don't care about having a website. We get those customers that come to us that way. Number two, we've got customers that come to us that are just come for the free WordPress offering or they have their own website and have found PowerPress and want to integrate. So there's really multiple ways people come to us. But if you're an existing podcaster and you're hosted somewhere, obviously my support team would help you migrate over. Usually if you are thinking about having your own website, you have already probably got that website up online, got it branded, maybe you've already installed PowerPress. If not, we help you with that and then migrate you over and just really, again, in the scheme of things, and this is something I tell people all the time, you can use PowerPress almost with any hosting provider. Right. So it's not restricted to being used with Blueberry. Now, you had made a mention earlier about post, upload, publish, and the real true advantage doing that with us is that you write your blog post, upload your media, and you hit publish, and you never leave your .com. That saves you time. So for some people, time is an important component of doing their show. It is. And, you know, when you do something like what you've done, which is to make it streamlined and removing a part of the equation, you're taking what we all know is a very making a podcast sounds great, right? But there's work involved and it's labor intensive. And to do it well, it requires a lot of our most precious resource, which is our time and anything you could do to take parts or elements out of the equation. So you're not doing double work helps. And then you multiply that over a many, many different areas. And then what you have is where I think we should all be striving towards is doing what we love doing, which is doing our show and whatever right. that, whatever that means. If that means yeah. the research on the front end and interviewing somebody, if it means a narrative, whatever that may be for you in your particular situation, that's where I think we should all be spending the majority of our time, not on the the labor part of it, but it's, it, it is necessary. And there's going to be some of that. We just, if we could move things out, the more, the better. One of the things that you've talked about is average downloads per episode and how some hosts the publish it, some don't. But one of the things that you have been on the record of saying is that yours do tend to be a lot higher than what a lot of the averages out there are. Why is that the case? Well, it, it really boils down to the strategy. And I'll say that our customers typically have stronger growth because they have skin in the game. So if your website is on some portal or if your podcast is on some portal, you have no, um, no reason to build that as a destination for your mm, listeners. Okay. And when you have your own website and your own .com, that's your baby. And you're able to put in blog posts on non-podcast days. You're able to do a little more SEO work. So a lot of it's discoverability. We also believe that over the past five years that we've had subscribe on Android, of course, Google Podcast is now on in the space. So that's kind of changed a little bit. But for about five years, the only way you could easily one-click subscribe on a podcast was using our subscribe on Android, which was supported by 13 different apps. The same experience as a Apple user has is on Android just by clicking and the app loads and you one-click subscribe. So we've had the advantage of having stronger Android growth as well, which in basically ups the curve on a person's podcast, along with the statistic that you 
talked about our listeners having more downloads, they also are longer lived. Mm-hmm. And that's the most, and that's a, probably a big portion of driving those numbers up is if you have the longest lived shows in space, obviously they should have the best growth as well. Yeah, well, you literally once again took the words out of my mouth because that was my next question is the longevity. You do have shows that are on longer. And if you look at some of the other companies out there, obviously Anchor being the most obvious, let's face it, there's a huge number of shows that are now defunct. They don't, they no longer exist. And yeah. so, and, and not to, you know, not to point fingers, they've done some things to help the industry and to sure. raise more awareness. And, and it's great that you lower the barrier of entry and they've done some things really well. And this is not a beat up on Anchor. But I think your point, and this is the thing I want to drive home for anyone listening, is you're building something. A brand matters. And when you, as you said, you have skin in the game. The more skin you have in the game and the more you have to benefit by using this platform, which obviously is podcasting, as a part of your brand, but not the part of your brand. That's one of the things you talk about a lot. I do want to talk more about brand for a moment, and then we'll get into the stats and get sort of geek out on on statistics and metrics. So what are ways that we can build a brand? So we know the, the dot com, you know, blog posts. What, what are some other things that maybe somebody's not thinking of that they can start doing? And it, it follows some of the same advice you're going to hear from a lot of people that talk about building shows. So let's back up. There's two models. There's the well, actually, there's maybe more than two. There's the folks that are just doing this for fun. They're having a good time. That's a, a friend, maybe a partner doing a show. They're not worried about making money. There's the business owner that's promoting his business and trying to drive maybe consults or services or whatever it may be to his property. And then you have people like me that started a show, a tech show that was just talking about news and there was really no business around it. As a new podcaster, to grow a show, number one, if you're not known in the space already, if you're not a Howard Stern, if you're not a celebrity, or if you are not known already, globally, not just in your state or local municipality for being an expert on it. So let's say that you're a financial advisor. Well, you might be the best financial advisor in Topeka, Kansas, but someone in Kansas City, Missouri, they're not going to know who you are. So what you have to do is you have to build authority. So podcasters have to build authority. They have to be, they have to own their brand, their own, their topic to build authority, which then helps in the full scheme of things, as an example, and I, we made this up. We didn't know in the early days of podcasting. So I'm doing this tech show, right? I go to CES, Consumer Electronics Show. I interview some people on the floor. There's a story about me interviewing the folks from GoPro. And, you know, I was like one of three people that gave me an interview and a relationship was established there. Then there was this thing. We got connected with MSNBC and they were doing some stuff there for the Olympics. They said, hey, we got some free open space. Would you like to use the studio? And these little opportunities dropped in front of us that ended up making huge differences in growing not only my show, but shows that I was working with at that event. But they asked me, what's your history in the space? What have you done? Well, I've covered the CES event twice. And we did 80 interviews last show. And all of a sudden, the guy that really had no authority gained authority. And then what did that open up? Well, that opened up being a regular commentator on the BBC Asia. So there's little things by little things open the doors by not only doing the podcast, but going to events I was associated with the book. You know, really, if you think about the book, that was kind of dropped on my lap. And I wasn't really truly authority in the space at the time. I was just 
in the right place at the right time in that instance. And sometimes that's the case. But if you're a podcaster and you're doing interviews, almost every interview will be a chapter for a book. So you can write a book from your show. There's all these things that go on to locality stuff as well. You can start speaking at Rotary Lions Club, move your way up the speaking chain for the topic on which you do your show, gaining authority, gaining exposure. Let's say you've got 50 episodes in or 100 episodes in. Call your local radio station. Call your local television station. You'd be surprised how many times they want to come out and do two hours worth of videotaping in your studio talking to you and you get three minutes or two minutes as Phil on the local TV. So it's really about all these consecutive things you can do to drive traffic back to your .com. So I think in a round sort of way, you have to do more than just the podcast. The podcast, you know, if you're lucky, your podcast will be it. There's been a few shows that have been able to do that. But if you see the real successful podcasters, they're doing more just their podcasts. They're doing all these other things. Now that takes time and a time commitment. So you know, I didn't sleep much in the early days. <laughs> oh man. Do I understand that one? Yeah. Well, it's hard work, man. And you, you talk about that. You talk about putting in the 18 hour days. You talk about you're building a business along with it. You're the first one up, the last one to bed. Talk right. about grinding and doing the work of three people. And I really admire and appreciate that about you. I'm curious how much of your work ethic is based upon your background in the Navy and, and, and his learned behavior? Or did you grow up in, in, with parents that were hardworking? I know they, I believe they were entrepreneurs or, or they yeah. were business owners. So maybe talk a little bit about where you got that from. I think everyone finds their way in life different ways. I grew up in a rural community. I was a country boy, literally grew up on a dirt road. My grandfather was a cash crop farmer and uh, my father was a contractor, bulldozers, cranes, backhoes. And believe me, it wasn't holding a chainsaw in the summer uh, going up and down ditch banks because he was literally a ditch digger. If I didn't have something to do for him, my grandfather had something for me to do. So very, very busy. Of course, you know, it's kind of ironic when I joined the Navy, I said, I'm going to join the Navy and be my own boss. I'm tired of being boss around <laughs> my dad and my grandfather. Little did I know <laughs> that, it, you know, that it took about 10, 12 years before I could say again, I'm my own boss again. And literally that's not, the complete truth because you never are unless right. you're, you know, the five-star admiral. But no, I had a successful Navy career too. But I think what you'll find is that my childhood uh, set me up well to be able to do 12-hour days, seven days a week in the Navy when needed. It's not always like that, but sometimes it's it's required. So I think when I started this business, and that was in 2004, and I didn't retire from the Navy until 2007. So I'd work my regular day job. And luckily, I was flying a desk at the time. So it was more kind of eight to four, eight to five. And then I would be able to, and I'd have lunch hour. So I was doing calls during lunch hour in my car instead of going to actually eat lunch and then going home and then working till midnight on the business. So for me, it was fun. So when something's fun, it's really not work. It's one of the reasons why I do my podcast the way I do today. I don't edit never edited. And if I would have had to have edited and had three young children at home and trying to keep the missus happy and running a business, the editing probably would have been, you know, the straw that broke the camel's back. And, the, you know, probably the, the relationship would not have survived that stage because of the number of hours I was putting in. So really, the reason I didn't edit was a marriage survival tactic more than anything else. 
Well, you do have to say no to some things. And I was thinking about this yesterday. I was thinking, gosh, there's so many things to do, but I, I kind of had this vision of the art of saying no, right? We, we have to get good at saying no to certain things. Yesterday, I actually had to say no, and I don't typically do this. I had to say no to a family event, frankly speaking, because I wanted to make sure I was prepared for this interview. I had I had two shows that I'm posting today that I, I wanted to do my intro and outro for mm-hmm. and, and just get it done. So point being is I, I said no to one thing. Now, I, I try not to say no to family things, but every now and then you do. And in yep. business, there's so many things that you have you got to say no to some things so you could say yes to other things. Interesting that you have never edited. I, I find that fascinating. The other thing I find fascinating, which I love, I love, love, love this, is your passion for storytelling. And you've called out, we need more storytellers in the podcasting mm-hmm. space. Can you talk a little bit about why that's so important? Well, oftentimes podcasters go into podcasting thinking that their guest is going to be the main attraction. I always think that guests add to the conversation and Rob Greenlee and I do the new media show together and we find that our biggest listen to shows is just him and I, or if we bring in a big name, we would have thought, man, that show's going to get a lot of listens and it's, they're always lower by 20% or so. And, and so we've really figured out that people come really to listen to us. So podcasters need to realize that people are coming to listen to you. And then like in this interview, the color that you add to the conversation is vitally important to keeping the audience engaged. So uh, yeah, telling stories, antidotes, fun things. Luckily, I've got uh, 35 years of a crazy life to be able to reflect on and all these years in podcasting to go back and tell some of these fun stories. But you have to be a storyteller to keep your audience's attention. And with that comes engagement and I like about your interview style is you've done your homework. Some of the things you probably know I'm going to say what I'm going to say, but some of the stuff you may not. And I think that's what makes this good is you're bringing stuff out that maybe other interviewers have not. So, you know, I would applaud you here on doing that. Very few people take the time to, to look at the backstory. Well, thank you. I, I do appreciate that. And coming from you, somebody who I admire and deeply respect the work that you've done and the disruption that you've done just generally to the world through podcasting. And I know that's something that, you know, when somebody asks, uh, you've been asked before, you know, how you want to be remembered and your legacy. And that's one of the things as a disruptor and as somebody that has really contributed to this space, which you have, I mean, so much so that we would take weeks to cover it all. One of those areas is in understanding the metrics. And you just alluded to the fact that you looked at your downloads relative to your solo show or your, your show with Rob versus when you have a guest on, which I think is a really, really important point. I'm a baby in this biz. I've only been doing it a year. I've always been an interviewer just because I love, I'm cu- naturally curious, but I'm a baby. So tell me how you suggest somebody like myself that's maybe been podcasting for a year, how we should be looking at the numbers. You don't want to get obsessed with them, but they do tell a story and they help you to understand what's working and what's not working. I I really think that continuous growth is key. If you're flat, if your numbers are flat, then you need to think about what you're not doing. Okay, so let's say that you've you've got 30, 40, 50 episodes in, and I wouldn't worry too much about the numbers until you get to those types of episode numbers because you're still finding your voice and you have to find your voice and become that personality that people are tuning into and not monkeying with the show format very much, but 
being comfortable in your own skin on the mic is, is a big part of this podcast growth. Then you need to look at incremental growth and you need to see what's happening. And it might not be if one, two, 3% a month, if you can get that, that's pretty awesome because consecutively that's means big numbers. And as you go up, but if you're flat, then, okay, am I just doing the podcast? What am I doing on social media? Am I going to where my audience is? It's all those things that you need to look at. Am I tweeting? Am I doing out clips with maybe a tool like Headliner or someone like that? Am I finding a segment of my show that I can promote that is basically the heart and soul of that podcast? Again, going to events where you can gain content for your audience. I know we're in the era of COVID right now. And there's not a lot of conferences going on. But for me, my biggest show growth came from, number one, interviewing the people that I was basically talking about all the time. And I called that extra content. That didn't even go into my regular podcast feed. I called that a special feed. And I made a separate show for that content. Then what that really did was I've got an address book of 4,000 different vendors all the way from the guy at Red Bull. It runs a gamut, Sony, Samsung. I have contacts for my tech show so that when they announce something, I can go back and say, hey, what are you guys doing? And I get a little inside information mm -hmm. and then be able to share that with my audience and have something that really separates me from the rest of the crowd. But I wouldn't have got those contacts had I not went to an event where it fed my content. For many, many years, I called the Consumer Electronics Show the gift they kept giving because we would do as a team, I'd take four or five other podcasters that were part of tech podcasts and we'd all go work as a group and then consolidate all the content in the end and it would we'd be cross-promoting on each other's shows. We we're getting six, seven million downloads of those video interviews. Oh, wow. Which then drove more listeners to the regular show. And they may not have connected with me, but they may have connected with one of our other team members there that was doing content. So it was organically helped us grow. But again, uh, to, to grow, you got to grind. You got to create superior content. You have to be consistent. You know, I think shows that are weekly, is, I think that's a minimum requirement for podcasts because people build you into their lives. They know that my tech show is going to come out Tuesday and Friday morning. They are already planning to listen to it at the gym or on their walk or wherever they may be. And if it's not there, they're going to replace you with something else. And if you do that too many times, you become a secondary point to listen to instead of the primary point in a certain time segment in a listener's life. I always tell new podcasters, if you're podcasting and you're doing seasons, well, seasons are great as long as season one ends on Friday and season two begins on Monday. <laughs> and for the first two years, no breaks. And people say, well, that's harsh. And I'm like, do you want to have a podcast that's going to grow? Or do you want a podcast that's just going to hang? Now, there's some folks that do seasons that do it well. But if you're going to do a season, <laughs> you better tell your audience on episode one that you're only doing 13 and then you're going to take three months off or whatever it may be. But don't be surprised when you come back after two months off that you don't have everyone back in your, they're going to get your show. Those are subscribed to it, but they've already found something else to listen to while you've been off. So I go against the grain on seasons, but it's also hard for people to do two years straight of content weekly. Or I was doing, you know, I do show twice a week. But now at 15 years, almost 16, I take a break whenever I want to because I tell my audience, if I don't, I'll quit because I need brain time. I need relax time. I need to be able to 
come back to you with good content. If I'm grumpy, I don't do a show. And like you, before we started the show, you deep breathe, you kind of got you stretched it out, right? Got in the right state of mind. I do jumping jacks. <laughs> Everyone kind of has a pre-show routine, but building extensive audience really in Hawaii, they, they call uh when you find good food, it's good grinds, right? Mm. <laughs> well, you, that's the grinds. That's the good stuff, right? When you're podcasting, you got to be able to put that good stuff out every episode. You've said so many wonderful things just there. And I think not least of which is that we do have to grind and we have to get creative. We can't just do the bare minimum. I did an episode where I said the 50 mistakes that I've made over my first 50 episodes. And man, it's shocking to, to just look back and reflect and say all these different things that I've learned and picked up along the way. And some of them I knew I was making that mistake and some of them I didn't. But the point is that you do have to find your voice. As you find your voice, it's really important that you're constantly elevating your game and looking for ways to build your authority through multiple means. And we as podcasters do often, and I know speaking from my own feel stretch, then we have so much going on, but if we think we're going to put out a podcast and that by itself is going to find an audience, that's like, and I, I gave the same comparison. It's like throwing a peanut in the ocean and thinking that, that a, you know, a monkey's going to find it, right? This is not going to happen. Let's talk more about the actual stats and the metrics. Now that you've given that nice precursor to what you need to have in order to look at the numbers, what are the, some of the mistakes people have when they comes to looking at numbers or even misconceptions? I know, for example, there's shows in Brazil and South Korea that are just getting like Ooh. millions of downloads, like millions, a million a day or something like that. So what are some of the things that we may not know about stats, about metrics, about the way this stuff's all tracked? Because I'm very green in all this, this whole area. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious what kind of insight you have in that realm. Let me talk about one thing and then I'll, I'll get into your topic. You're talking about doing great content. I put stick it notes all over my monitor in my studio that says, remember, they're listening because I'm doing a video podcast. Remember to describe what you're talking about. I have notes to remind myself who's listening and why they're listening. And that helps me make sure that I'm talking to the audience, not around them or making them confused as if they're not watching the video portion of the podcast. So that's things I just tried to remind myself every episode to keep it real with the audience. But what I have found with stats, and here's what I've used. I used to, man, I used to check 10 times a day. And as new podcasters, well, in the early days, we had no stats. And when we finally got stats that were reliable, my company built. We were one of the first. <laughs> I was in there every day looking at stuff. After you've been doing this a few years, you're, you're not in there doing looking every day. But what did I use the stats for? Geographic data. I wanted to see where people were listening. So if I knew that I had a heavy presence in Texas, I would call it on the show. Hey, thank you for the Texas audience that's listening to the show. And the same theme, I would say, who is in Antarctica is listening to the show? Please email back and let me know who you are and where you listen to the show. And I got an email back from that one listener in Antarctica. And same thing. Hey, who's listening in Maine? And then I would use that data to kind of try to connect with the audience from a geographic standpoint. And then other weird things like who is still using the lemon eye potter? You know, which one of you that's listening, I get one download on the lemon eye potter app that was built in 2005. Who's using that? And why are you still using that? <laughs> Turns out <it> some <laughs> I'm 75 year old guy in a windows 95 machine. 
And it was his way to get podcasts because he didn't have budget to update his computer and he didn't have a smartphone. He was listening on his computer. So that is kind of how I use some of the stats to connect with the audience. And then obviously, how are they listening? Where are the trends going? Am I getting listened to on Spotify? Well, on the Geek News Central show, Spotify is not my demo. That's mm-hmm. my, not my demo audience. I run really 25 to 75 is my demo. 18 to 25-year-olds do not listen to me. So who's listening on Spotify? Well, 18 to 35. So I get a few listens on Spotify, but not very much. But where was I getting? Well, I'm getting listens on this particular app or this particular operating system, or I see a spike in a certain browser. You know, I'm like, why are people still coming to the website? Well, because I tell them to go to the website. Every episode, I tell them 10 times, make sure you go to geeknewcentral.com, go over geeknewcentral.com, go over geeknewcentral.com. So, you know, they know where my home site is, which I call Moonbase Alpha. It's kind of a weird way to refer to it. I send them back to Moonbase Alpha. I want them to go there and find the additional content. So I use the, the data in the stats to look for weird stuff. We have referral data. So I'll look at the referral data and I'm like, why did that site refer to me? And I'll go to that site, look it up, and I'll thank the person that maybe did a link to an episode or something to that effect. So I really try to not only just look at the numbers in the end, the numbers is for some folks is how they're going to get paid for the advertising they're running the show. But I also try to, to extrapolate what I can from the data to make changes to the show as well. And one of the unique things we have that no one else does in the podcasting space is we have an advanced stats feature that gives me uh, play data. And people are like, well, how do you get play data? Well, when you're subscribed to a podcast, the second you publish, within 60 to 90 seconds, automated podcasters will start downloading that new episode. For the first 24 hours, the phone, the people are subscribed, get that show delivered 100% to their mobile device. And that's why subscriptions are still very, very important in podcasting. But after the first 24 hours, when you see this huge spike that goes up and then it starts going down and basically 99.9% of podcast statistics are you take a hockey stick and you lay it on the floor and you stand it up on its edge. And where the hockey stick is, that's the first day. It goes out to where the puck gets whacked and then it rolls off and it comes down. And then pretty soon, within about 96 hours, it's running around the flat line of the hockey stick with little blips of life here and there. But after that first 24 hours, then that's the people that have discovered your show and aren't subscribed. They're just click and play. They're playing on your website. They're playing on an app. For whatever reason, they haven't ticked the extra step to engage and subscribe, but they're just clicking play. So that play data is very, very valuable. One of our big enterprise customers was looking at play data and they said, what about the 45 minute mark? And we're seeing this huge drop off. The audience was like punching out. They couldn't tell that from their subscribe numbers because the subscribe folks were getting 100% of the download. It was only on those active plays where they saw 45 minutes, they were stopping. And that's accurate within two or three minutes, you know, because we're looking at when the download quit delivering. They went back to their content and they said, oh, here's a segment. Doesn't quite fit completely with the theme of the show. Let's pull that segment. And what they immediately saw was getting into the 90, 95% range of completion on those active plays. 
what I use in our system, the advanced stats for is I try to figure out and I look at episode by episode, where am I losing people? And I have a show producer now. For years, I didn't. After the show, he goes back and time hacks all the content. So I know that if I saw a drop off at 32 minutes of a 50 minute program, what did I start talking about at 32 minutes that pissed people off? Or where did I lose them? Or did I not engage them? Or did I bore them? So I do a little analysis. And, it, and sometimes it's just a blip. Sometimes it's just a, a little hole. It's not like this huge drop off. It's just, and then, so you learn from that. And I have a little notebook that I write notes in about episode performance and try to analyze where maybe I lost an audience. Now, I don't do that for every episode. If I see an episode's off, if the numbers are not where they should be, I'll go back and like, oh, what happened there? And usually, through a little self-honesty and retrospective, you thought, man, I could have used a shot of coffee at that point. <laughs> so maybe that energy wasn't super high. So usually you find out what caused the audience to leave. Stats and metrics, they tell a story. We talked about storytelling, but what I loved about what you said, yes, in the early days, you're... The addiction of refreshing and just looking at your numbers, it's sort of human nature and it happens. But let's be real about this. Why are we looking or why should we be looking? And that is to help tell the story, to tell the story of when listeners stop listening and to tell the story of where they're listening, how they're listening. And you've given some great advice on how you can engage with the audience once you know that story. What else, if anything stands out, could help as we start to learn more about the numbers, what else can a pot, you've given a lot. If nothing comes to mind immediately, we can move on. But I, I never like leaving any juice left in the orange. So what, what else can you subscribe or prescribe for a podcaster that wants to look at their data, look at their metrics, and then take action as a result? I get calls. I do consults with Blueberry Podcasters. I try to do five a week. And I hear this reoccurring theme. Todd, I've only got this many downloads. I'm like, well, let's look at that. And it could be 100 per episode. It could be 1,000. It could be 5,000. Your perspective of where it should be changes some point in your podcasting space. You forget about the days you were at 100. And I always tell folks, this is the question that I always ask. I say, where do you work? Can they kind of get this weird response? And we'll say, well, I work here. I said, are you the boss? Are you an employee? kind of get the feel where they work. And I'm like, okay, how many people are in your organization? And it could vary from 40 to 500 or whatever it may be. And I said, let's say for the example, the person's at a company that's got 500 people in it and the downloads are at 500. I said, you're addressing the equivalent of your company every week. You're reaching 500 people. I said, that's a significant number of people to reach and influence. I said, most people in their lifetimes will never get to speak in front of 500 people. And you're getting to reach these people every single week through your show. So don't discount that you're reaching 500 people. And this is one of the reasons why smaller shows are more effective in reaching their audience than bigger shows, because we're more appreciative of the audience. We know more of our audience. And it's a little more tighter feeling for the, your family of listeners. And I call my listeners my family. Because when you get to 50,000, it's like talking to a football stadium full of people. Yeah. But I think a lot of podcasters lose sight on. You better be talking to the person that's sitting across from you in every podcast, even if that person is imaginary. Because... Even though there's 50,000 people listening to your show, 
they're plugged in with their headphones or their earbuds and they're listening to you and it's a one-on-one conversation. I catch myself all the time saying, what do you guys think? Instead of what do you think? So as your show grows, and again, I've kind of went around the question you had here on stats, but don't be disappointed with a hundred listeners, you know, even if 20 of them are family. (laughs) And I love your point about speaking to one person, real or imaginary, having that listener avatar in your mind of who you're talking to and being very directional that you're speaking to this person. I mean, having that in your mind really helps to craft the show, craft the message, tailor the entire journey that you're taking them on. And this is something that I've talked about in previous episodes of this show, just how vital that is. Speaking of vital, another topic that we've talked about is just the notion of distribution and getting the show out there. Wondering if you have any tips, because obviously I think there are any number of ways to ensure that you are out there. But let's face it, it is an industry that by all accounts is still in its infancy. When you look at radio has been around 100 plus years. There are lots of ways to get your show out there, but are there any ways that you found more successful than not or ones that you would recommend to help move the growth of the show in the right direction? Even if it is to your point, one or 3% growth, that's still incremental growth. The industry as a whole is growing. How do we make sure our individual shows are growing? You have to know where your audience resides. Where does your audience hang out? Do they hang out on LinkedIn? Do they hang out on Twitter? Do they hang out on Facebook? Where is your audience? And you have to find out where your audience is hanging out and go find them and participate in those communities or where they're being reached. My audience doesn't hang out on LinkedIn. They don't necessarily hang out on Facebook, but they are on Twitter in a big way. So in part of my social media strategies, I focus more on Twitter because I know that's where the audience is going to, they're going to heart something or I'm going to make an announcement and So I think you really, as far as growing your show, you got to find out where your audience hangs out and you need to go out, hang out with them. Now, you don't want to be a spammer, but if you join a group, a Facebook group or a LinkedIn group, go in there and add to commentary and add color to the conversation. And then when something comes up, you go, oh man, I did an episode on that. Matter of fact, I talked about it at 23 minutes in my episode. You can go back and tell that to me, hey, you know, I talked about this at the 23 minute mark of this media link. Go jump to that. And that way you're not spamming. You're providing them very succinct instructions on where to go find the answer to what they're looking for. And that's how you can be effective in some of these groups. Just going on a group and announcing you have a podcast, people are just, you know, they're going to give you the middle finger. You know, they don't care. That's not the way to engage. I think it's a beautiful answer because it really matters that you as a podcaster know who the audience is, but more specifically, where they go. I mean, your point about the fact that you know your audience isn't going to be active on LinkedIn or maybe even Facebook, but that you know that they look at Twitter, that right there is gold. And then the other thing, so agree with you that if you could go and immerse yourself in those communities or wherever it may be, if it is a Facebook group or if it is a LinkedIn group, don't just spam them, but you can give them in a very specific way one of your segments of your show that offers value. I think that's what it comes down to is offering value. And the more you can offer value to other people, they appreciate that. What they don't appreciate is relentless spam type of promoting. I want to spend the rest of our time before we wrap here on advertising, because you might have the world record for the longest relationship with 
a sponsor with GoDaddy, who I'm very active. I've worked with GoDaddy this week. So we'll give them another shout out on this show, even though they're not my sponsor, they're your sponsor. So, but th- that's how it works. I mean, they're getting, I thought about this as I was doing research. I mean, they're getting benefit because of your blog, because of your show, because you talk about them. And even though you had a disgruntled original note about them, I'm a big believer in redemption and I'm a big believer in the, in the ability for a company to turn around. In fact, that's even a better story. So for a podcaster that's listening to this show and they're maybe getting to a point where they can start considering sponsors or advertisers, what initial advice you would give them and how do you build a relationship that is as enduring as the relationship you've built with GoDaddy? Don't be greedy. <laughs> you gave it away, right? I mean, originally you were like, oh, I'll do this. And they're like, yeah. And then they're like, they re- you realize you made a mistake. So you're like, can we include yeah. a uh, bonus for, uh, yeah. for participation? And they're like, you made a mistake, right? You're like, yeah. Yeah. I, I think podcasts are valuable, but don't think you're that valuable. Because here's, here's how I've kept GoDaddy. I have to deliver. I have a number every month I have to hit. My entire deal with GoDaddy is based upon new customers. I get no credit for renewals, longevity. Now, hey, over the life of that account, they've achieved tens of thousands of new customers because of my show. But I deliver them value every month and I drive to make sure that I hit my numbers. If I'm a little bit under, they'll let me know. If I'm over, they'll let me know. As long as we stay in the happy medium, we're good because not all months are going to perform the same, but I have to deliver. How do I deliver? Oh, yes. That's my question. You, are you reading my mind? Come on. Yeah, exactly. How, how I deliver is it's really a simple formula, ladies and gentlemen. When you do your show for a couple of years, people get sick of listening to you and they will leave. Believe it or not, they'll leave. Now, in my instance, I've been doing my show almost 16 years. and They've gone, they've come back, they've gone, they've come back, they've gone, they've come back. They've gone for a year, year and a half, and all of a sudden I get an email, Todd, I'm back with the show. So what do you do for those people that leave? You got to fill the other end. You got to have new, I don't want to use the word butts in the seats, but you need more earballs. Listen to your show every month. You got to have new people coming in. So um, part of my strategy is blogging. Part of my strategy is this extra content. It's all about driving Google search. It's a whole strategy to get a percentage, a small percentage of new people that visit my website or hear about stuff that I'm doing to come in and listen and stay for a couple of years. And then they're going to leave. The key to longevity is number one is getting them to come in now. Okay. They come in, they buy a GoDaddy product, their new product. That's done. I've got credit for that. I made my number in, in September. What about October for that listener? Well, in October, hey, you can support the show by writing a check. Or if you want to do something that's just like writing a check, you're going to talk about my sponsor to anyone that talks about getting a domain, getting a hosting account, if you have a conversation with someone. And when you have enough audience and you've told them twice a week, if you hear someone talking about setting up a website, you tell them you have a friend that gave you a GoDaddy code to get you a year's worth of service for 12 bucks and send them my way. So I use the audience to help fill what I can't fill with new butts coming to seat. Someday we may run out. Can't say that it's, hey, I'm every month I have an email conversation with the GoDaddy rep. We see where we're at. So I don't get a free ride because I have to deliver. And if I don't deliver, then they're not waving a finger at me, but they're like, hey, you come in under. 
Let's see what we can do next month. Little words of encouragement. And so far, that formula has worked. But you have to deliver performance. Whatever is agreed upon, if you agree to a performance mark, then that's what you've got to deliver. GoDaddy came to you, correct? Originally, yeah. they came to you. And so what, if you know, for podcasts are listening, maybe they they feel like they're getting to a point where they can start having those conversations. How do you attract either by intentionally finding an advertiser or sponsor or doing something that they're going to, they're going to come to you? What's your advice? Your audience's number one is going to sometimes help you find an advertiser. You going to events and networking will help you find an advertiser. The best relationships are ones you find yourself. And if you're not going to the places where you're potential sponsors are, which makes sense because they're doing stuff that's related to your show. And that's the best type of sponsor to have. I do a tech show, GoDaddy, perfect match. If you're doing a business finance show, well, you're going to a business finance event. Maybe you're going to find a bank or an industry, some institution that wants to advertise with you. So it's all directly related. It's all part of doing these things besides just putting out your show or you'll get representation. You know, you have Blueberry help you find an ad partner or there's lots of companies out there that are helping podcasters find advertising. So you can do it that way too. But I like keeping 100% of my money and not giving me a cut of a commission. Uh, I'd much rather have a podcaster keep 100% of their money than given, let me take 30% of that. Right. And it is the power of networking when you can put yourself into situations where you are meeting people in your space, you're planting the seed for you potentially being a great source of business for them. But it starts with being visible. And that means even in the era of COVID, you can still go to some virtual events. You may not be rubbing shoulders with somebody, but you can still make those connections. And the world is so connected now because of social media that there's really no excuse. You didn't have when you got started all the social media tools that are at your disposal now, right? And so you had to start in a very different landscape than exists today, as did many others. And so my last question for you is about, you're a legend yourself. You would never call yourself a legend, but you are a legend in this space. Who are the other podcasting legends or anyone that you think of highly, who you admire and who you have in high regard? Who are those people? Oh man, there is so many men and women They've done so many different things in the space. Look what Elsie Alcabar is doing with She Podcast. Mm -hmm. She's largely been responsible for bringing in literally tens of thousands of new women to the podcasting space. She's definitely in that legends category. Her and her partner, obviously some of the old school guys and gals definitely have loved what they have done. You look at the Pat Flynn's of the world, those type of folks that are so, so positive and growth oriented about podcasting. There's a few people in the finance sector that I may not completely agree with their message, but boy, they've brought in a huge number of, of new listeners. I, I think really in the end, podcasting is so diverse now. And I think if we go back and look at the vision Adam Curry had, and I'm a big fan of Adam Curry, I would not be here today without what he did in the space, him and Dave Weiner. And what he's doing now, this podcast 2.0 initiative, he's worried about the podcasting space in really significance. That's probably a whole hour's worth another program. But I think that he had a vision that basically said, screw the man. There's no rules. There's no gatekeepers. There's no one that can tell you no. You can build your show your way, the way you want to do it. Without that true rebel idea back in 2004 when there was no iPhone, there was only the iPod, some other rudimentary media devices. 
where we could sync and take that content with us. Today, we, it's second nature, but that's what really launched the space and made it the way it is today is that you can do a show. I can do a show. We can do it differently. We can build it differently. There's no rules. I think that's what makes this space truly remarkable in itself. So from a from that perspective, I think the podcasting genre itself is really the true hero and being able to just allow anyone to have their own voice and not be controlled by some conglomerate. Well, a military man who likes no rules. I love it, Todd. And let me just say that Elsie's coming on the show. She just agreed to come on the show. I am going to reach out to Adam. I'd love to have him on at some point. But you've been wonderful. I could talk to you for literally days. And hopefully over time, we get a chance to connect again. You could find Todd's amazing podcast, which by the way, I loved your interview on Podcasting Legends with Adam Curry. That was fantastic getting that. His twice a week show, Geek News Central. Go to geeknewscentral.com. You also have the new media show. As you said, you're active on Twitter, which is at Geek News is your handle there. You can also email you at geeknews at gmail. If you have not a technical question, because you have a technical support team that will help with, <laughs> with anything going on the technical realm. Not that you couldn't do that, but you have a team for that. But if it's more business-related, CEO at Raw Voice, again, parent company to Blueberry. You also can go to your websites, rawvoice.com or blueberry.com. There's no ease in Blueberry. So that's just a little bit different spelling. And I love that you have your network of other fellow tech podcasts. You can find all of them at techpodcast.com. You also have an awards program, Podcast Awards. So you have really put your mark on the industry. You are prolific. You are somebody that I greatly respect and admire. And I'm just so thrilled and honored to have had you on for the Love of Podcast. Well, thanks for having me on. I appreciate the time. And yes, we could probably spend 10 hours on this topic. Stop. Don't leave yet. If you made it this far, please listen for just one more minute because I have something to tell you. I can't tell you how much it means that you took the time to listen, and I really hope you enjoyed this episode. So what do I want to tell you? I want to let you know that I'm here to serve you. If you have suggestions, ideas, possible guests, show topics, anything you'd like me to cover on future episodes, please let me know by sending feedback to For the Love of Podcast forward slash feedback. I want this to be a two-way street, not just me talking. I want to know what you want from this show. Ultimately, you will help decide what this show is and how it best serves you to make better podcasts. If you like this show, let me be blunt. The best payment you can give is to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platforms. This is so important and it will help so much, especially during these early days as the show gets started. One more ask please consider sharing this show with your friends on social media to help spread the word. All right, that's it. Until next time, please remember everything we do, we do it for the love of podcast.